Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Christmas is coming, and uh, whether we're ready or not, uh, we can't stop it. It's kind of like if you have, in my line of work, Sunday comes every week. It's crazy, but it comes every single week, and it's here. Well, Christmas is coming, and we can't stop it, and at the same time, we're so familiar with the Christmas story that, that it can be hard to prepare. So our goal over the next four weeks is to help us prepare to celebrate the birth of Christ. Um, we come into such a busy season. We, we come into so much, you know, chaos, and, and uh, we got, you know, we go from, you know, Black Friday to Saber, or Cyber Monday to, uh, you know, just a sprint all the way to Christmas, and we want to pause uh, for the next four weeks and be reminded of what we're celebrating, who we're celebrating, and, and what it really means to us, and, and so this morning, we want to look at the Christmas story. We want to look at our first Sunday of Advent from the perspective of Joseph. So let me read a few verses to you out of Matthew, the first chapter, starting at verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, he was, uh, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So that's the beginning of the story. And when you look at Joseph, um, Joseph is often referred to as the forgotten man of Christmas. Uh, that so much of the nativity, so much of the Christmas story, of course it revolves around Jesus, the birth of Christ, but also Mary and the wise men and the shepherds. And, and Joseph kind of get, slowly gets relegated to, to the back of the line. And so he has been called by scholars in years past the forgotten man of Christmas. But if you look at Joseph, if you look at his life, he models the influence and the consequences of immediate, simple obedience to the command of God. I'd like us to look at Joseph in real life this morning uh, because as the forgotten man of Christmas shows us that there is obedience to the word of God matters for us. It's, it's, uh, if we take a serious look at Joseph and, and not just the nativity scene Joseph or the Christmas card uh, Joseph, but we see him as things actually were, we ought to have a great appreciation for him. He was betrothed or engaged uh, to a young woman who was suddenly and strangely pregnant, uh, and an angel, the Lord says, this is an act of God. Um, this is a northern Palestinian cabinet maker, a carpenter, and suddenly God completely throws his whole world upside down. All of the thoughts, all of the plans, uh, all of the pride of this is my betrothed, this is how my life is gonna go, this is how you build a business, all of those things get turned upside down, and uh, shortly after the birth of Christ in another dream, they have to flee to Egypt. Everything in their life gets turned upside down again. He has no network, no connections, no job, no place to stay. If you look at the life of Joseph, the man, it, it's, it, it, it tells us that, that there's only one thing that can summarize the life of Joseph, and that's obedience. We don't have lots of dialogue. We don't have lots of information, but we simply have a man, a simple man, who is obedient to God, who is faithful to what God had put in front of him. In the world in which Joseph and his family 
lived home and community were the two most important venues through which the love of God was expressed. Home and community really mattered. People most often lived uh, with extended family, grandparents, aunts and uncles and cousins, very nearby, if not in the same house. And the home was called the Biet Av. It was the, uh, in Hebrew, the Biet Av, it was the house of the father, the father's house. And so the role of the father was very important. The role of the father passed on from generation to generation was central to life in the first century among Hebrew families. Joseph was the center of his household. The goal of the average Hebrew family man uh, was not the acquisition of great wealth or achievement of power, but it was to live a life of covenant faithfulness to the Lord and teach his family to do the same. That's, that was Joseph's goal. That's the center of his life, uh, was to live that out in front of his family and to teach his family the same. If you, if it would have been Joseph's responsibility to pass on the, le- the lessons that he learned from his father, who learned them from his father and so on, and to pass those on to his son. In this case, it was the son of God. He passed on these stories of God's love and faithfulness, the stories of Israel's amazing history, and God's continuing faithfulness. And we wanna pass on those same stories. We wanna pass on that same legacy of faithfulness that Joseph did. So picture this, you're, you're a young man, first century Nazareth. You're a carpenter by trade, a cabinet maker. You're a craftsman. Uh, maybe you belong to the local craftsman union, you know? Uh, in northern Palestine, you have this plan of how you're going to build your business because uh, you, you know, you know uh, any of you that ever started a business or got an insurance or sold, you know, Cutco knives or whatever, you, you know, you, you know that you always start with your family, but then you run out of family after a while, right? I can speak from experience. I have lots of family uh, that I've helped, you know, it's cost me a lot of money to be in a family. Um, but, uh, you know, but then you have to build your reputation, you have to build your business, you do all of those things, and so uh, you've got Joseph, and that's what he's doing, and then he's betrothed uh, to the love of his life, and being betrothed, it's much more complicated and extensive than, than we understand today, because you're, you're essentially married, except you don't live together yet, and so uh, she, Mary comes to Joseph, and he's this proud young Hebrew man starting his business, start getting his life going, build, you know, uh, going to build his family, he's getting everything ready, building the furniture, all of these things that, that you would do with such great pride and excitement, and then Mary comes to him with this absurd story that she's pregnant, and uh, that she's going to have a baby, and that God is through, it's through God by the Holy Spirit, and everything has suddenly changed. Now this betrothed young Hebrew man has a wife, or a betrothed wife who's pregnant. What do you do? Because he's clearly not the father. And that's the dilemma that Joseph faced. But, but here's, here's part of the beauty of this story is that we don't get a word from Joseph. We, there's not a word quoted from Joseph. All we have in the New Testament is that an angel spoke to Joseph, which in itself is kind of wild. And what do you do with that? But it's Joseph immediately obeyed. Now, if you go to the first chapter of Luke and you read about Zechariah and, and, this, and uh, Elizabeth and Mary's uh, cousins, 
and, and uh, he has an angel and comes and says, you're way too old for this, but you're gonna have a son. He's gonna be John the Baptist. He's gonna prepare the way for the Messiah. Zechariah laughs at him. He, he says, wait, I am way too old. And, and you know that he was struck silent because he said that and wasn't able to speak until his son John was actually born. And then we have Mary, the mother of Jesus, in Luke 1.34. Uh, she met the command with doubt. Mary said to the angel, how can this be? I know not a man. I'm not married. How can I have a baby? And, and interestingly, Joseph didn't respond with any recorded denial or doubt, but rather with immediacy of obedience. He took her to be his wife and did not touch her until Jesus was born. In fact, Joseph has an obedience that outshines many of the most famous people in the Old Testament and certainly all of Scripture. If we think of Moses, for example, in Exodus, when Moses stood before the burning bush, he works hard to talk God out of his plan. Uh, he says, I'm not a good speaker. What will I tell them? What am I going to get killed when I go back? He has all of these excuses. Then in, in, in Isaiah, the sixth chapter, when God reveals himself to Isaiah, Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. How can I do this? And then uh, Jeremiah, when he's confronted by God with a mission, Jeremiah says, I'm too young to do this. I, I can't possibly uh, do what you're asking me to do. Or Amos, the prophet Amos, the keeper of the sycamore fruit and the keeper of the sheep, and he he says, I don't have the credentials to be a prophet. I'm just a sheep herder. Uh, I'm just a gardener. How can I possibly carry the word of God? And they all had excuses. And then we come to Joseph. And he doesn't make any excuses. He just hears the word of God and he responds. He just does what's right. Here's another fascinating thing about Joseph. You see, in, in the Mosaic law, in the law of Moses in the Old Testament, uh, he Joseph was completely in his rights to set Mary aside. If she's pregnant and he's not the father, uh, then actually Mosaic law um, says that she would, could be classified legally as a prostitute. And she could be humiliated and cast aside. And, and, and in that time in history, um, women had very few rights. Prostitutes had fewer rights. Prostitutes had few, no options. Uh, their life was doomed from the very beginning. By that label, it was like a death warrant for a woman. And he could have legally had her called a prostitute, classified as a prostitute for what had happened, for what she had done. And, and what the New Testament says is that that Joseph was a righteous man. This, um, this word in, in the New Testament uh, is dikaios, and, and it means righteous, it means obedient, uh, with humility. Uh, it carries a lot of connotations about the kind of man. If you were reading this, if you were a Greek, uh, if in, you know, reading this in the first century, uh, you would have understood immediately a lot about who Joseph was. He was a man who honored God. He was a man who was a righteous man. He was a faithful man. He was a humble man. He was an obedient man. And when God spoke to him, he did what was right. Now, here, this was his plan uh, for, for Mary. He would have taken two men with him and would have gone to Mary's home where she still lived with her parents. And those three of them, he and his two witnesses would have gone and they would have said, you know, Mary's pregnant and we need to, we need to put her aside. We need to annul this betrothal um, 
we need out of this and that her parents would then have a decision whether or not she would be allowed to stay in the house or what would be her future. But Joseph had determined in his heart that he was going to do this with dignity. He was going to do it with reverence. He was going to quietly put her aside and that would have required taking two witnesses with him, two other men with him, going to her home and officially doing that. And Joseph did none of these things. He, he, he stepped away from the, their history, their tradition, um, all of those things because of the word of God, because of his obedience to the word of God. And he took Mary uh, to be his wife. Uh, it's a huge, huge thing that he did. He, he is in this such a dilemma. And I can imagine him pacing the floor of his carpenter shop night and day, talking to himself. What kind of dream is this? What does the angel mean? But in the end, he didn't take the easy way. He obeyed God. You know, a carpenter's business in Nazareth depending on, depended on building up the goodwill of people over a long period of time. And he would have been subjected now to the, the backstreet gossip, uh, to malicious slander, uh, to people who would uh, characterize him negatively and characterize Mary negatively. There would be all kinds of things that would be said about him. Joseph was setting himself up for that kind of criticism, that kind of slander, that kind of gossip in his life. And yet he faced that without a word uh, because of God's word. He models for us that we can obey God in the midst of painful, difficult, inexplicable circumstances. He was willing to do that and we can obey God in spite of our fears as well. There's nothing in Joseph's background that prepares him for this except the word of God that was passed along from his father, from his father, and so on in their lives to say God is faithful, God is true, that, our, that we're to obey God, that we're to stand firm, not in fear, but we're to trust God with our very lives. And when God spoke to him, uh, Joseph responded with faith. He responded with humility and he responded with trust. And it's hard for us to get our arms around this because, you know, our culture, we make excuses for so many things, right? Um, and, and yet there, there was only one route and Joseph said, no, I'm gonna choose to follow God. I'm gonna choose to obe be obedient to God. I I'm gonna choose to trust him with my future, with my family, uh, all of those things. I'm gonna give myself to them. Now, here's another thing that's in interesting for us is that is that Jesus is born then into Joseph's home. And it was the role of the father to train up his family. So I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you know, some of the, the first words that Jesus would have ever spoken would have been taught to him by his father. It's called the Shema. And it, the, the words come from Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, and it's to, it's, uh, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That that, that that was lessons, those lessons came from his father. That when they would celebrate the Passover on an annual basis, it, it was Joseph who would lead the family through the Passover remembrance and the Passover celebration. And it was Jesus as the eldest that would respond uh, to the father and would respond to the, uh, to the liturgy that they had for Passover. But it was Joseph that led the family. 
that as Jesus is growing up, some of the most important lessons, you know that Jesus is the Messiah, but he's also man. He is the incarnate God. He is God. He is God with skin on. And the lessons that he learned as a man were taught to him by his father. Joseph was a carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter's son. And at his father's knee, he learned the craft of carpentry. He learned how to build things. He learned what it meant to put in a day's work. He learned all of those things from his father. Joseph taught him those things. Joseph led the way for his family, and as Jesus grew up, uh, as Jesus grew up in that home, he not only knew he was the son of God at some point, but he also knew what it meant to work hard. He knew what it meant to be obedient. He knew the Shema to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That was part of his life. That was something that he would never, that, that, that he would speak from his earliest words uh, as he grew up. All of those things were built into Jesus by Joseph. Now, Joseph sort of disappears from the narrative, and so most scholars think that Joseph must have died early on because when we get to Jesus' adult life, there's, there's no reference to Joseph. And, and I think that's in some ways even more profound because Joseph didn't have, the, he, he wasn't able to walk through that, but he had his role in preparing Jesus for what he was gonna face. That Think about this, that Joseph was obedient to the word of God to stay with Mary, to raise this family, to continue to work. There's a point where, um, where Herod uh, wants to kill all the firstborn children. Joseph has to up root again. He flees to Egypt. He starts his business all over again. He starts caring for his family in a different place, a different house, a different culture. All of those things out of obedience to God. All of those things because God called him to something that was so complicated and so different uh, and so bit much bigger than anything he'd ever experienced in his life that, that constantly his life was being changed. And now there's a point where Caesar Augustus requires everybody to be uh, to, to be counted. The, Joseph has to take Mary to Bethlehem. Uh, again, there's no, there, there's, there's no you know, carpenter shop that's kind of waiting for him there to start his business. There was no carpenter shop in Egypt waiting for him to start his business. The, everywhere he goes, he's starting fresh, he's starting new, he's rebuilding, he's taking care of his family. And, and yet he disappears as Jesus becomes an adult, but all of these things that Joseph did are built in to him. We, um, we were at a, a, a little celebration for some friends from California yesterday and one of their daughters has gotten engaged and they were at relative's house and had a dinner and we were talking and one of the moms was asking me all these questions and talking about things and, and I, so I was joking with her and I said, well, you know, we raise our kids to lunch but then sometimes we say, but I didn't mean you to go that far or we raise them to lunch and then we keep trying to reel them back and yet, what we, really, what we really started out to do was to raise them, to launch them. We didn't raise them so they would, you know, take care of us, do things for us. We raised them to be adults who loved God and served people and built lives, right? That was our whole point. That was our goal. And that's what Joseph did with Jesus. His role was to launch Jesus, to raise him to launch. And that's what he did. And as we look at the life of Joseph, I, there's a couple of things that I want us to be really um, aware of. One is just his simple obedience. Do we trust God as much as Joseph did? 
That's an, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Think about the upheaval in his life. Think about what Joseph went through. Not just changing cities and, and changing you know, carpentry shops, not just starting over, but, but also dealing with the fact that his reputation is gonna be damaged, that people are gonna gossip and, 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 you know, and all of your pride and all of that stuff that we kind of carry around with us it, you know, is gonna get drained out of him because of what people are gonna say and he's doing it out of obedience to God. And we don't hear one word of complaint. There's not one word. I'm, I'm sure Joseph had crazy feelings. I'm sure that, that Joseph had doubts. I'm sure that he had all the normal emotions that we would expect, but we don't have one recorded word that he said anything other than he was obeying God. And the, the angel speaks to him. Uh, it, it, as we look on at the passage it says in verse 20, but after he considered this, uh, all that he was gonna do to set Mary aside, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus comes from Yehoshua, uh, Jehovah, God saves uh, that he will save his people from their sins, that that was who Jesus was going to be. Joseph, you, I am giving you such a big job. I'm giving you such a huge responsibility that you're going to raise this son who will be the savior of the world. So you're gonna name him Jesus. This is another really interesting thing because he didn't, the, the angel, if you were living in the Hebrew home, you would have named him you, maybe Joseph Jr., Right? Um, some kind of family name, you carried on the family lineage. Maybe you would name him David or you would name him something that was in your line and your family and, and the angel of the Lord says, I want you to name him something completely out of context, completely out of the norm. You're gonna name him Jesus because he'll be the savior of the world, Joseph. That's who's gonna be living in your house. Now, I have this sort of interesting thought, you know, that I, I've wondered sometimes about Billy Graham's dad. I don't know, any of you guys knew, did any of you guys know Billy Graham's dad? I'm sure somebody must have known Billy Graham's dad, but I don't think very many people know anything about Billy Graham's dad, but we know a lot about Billy Graham, right? But Billy Graham came out of someone's home. There were lessons learned. There were, there were moments of discipline and love and compassion and care uh, and hard work and all of those things that God used to shape this person who would be one of the great evangelists of you know, the 20th century and the 21st century for that matter and God used him. And so I, it's not so important sometimes that we become famous but we become cognizant of what is it that God's called us to do? What's he called us to be obedient to? God might be up to something that we don't understand that's bigger than we can imagine. Now maybe it's not raising the next Billy Graham, but maybe it's influencing a person for eternity. Maybe God's called us to speak to a person. Maybe God's moved us to share with a person. Maybe he's caused, called us to give to somebody or to something for his sake and for his kingdom, and he's called us to be obedient to it. And if we don't do it out of fear or if we don't do it because it's inconvenient, we might be missing something really big that God wants to do through us. And when we have those moments, we can look at Joseph and we can be reminded of what it means to be obedient, what it means to overcome fear and choose obedience in spite of the obstacles, uh, in spite of all the circumstances that we face. Well, the story continues a little bit here in a couple more verses. It says, uh, 
uh, in 22, it says, and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah. Uh, this is from Isaiah, the seventh chapter, starting in verse 14, but it says, the, vir- the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she had given birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, there are a couple of things that are going on. They're quoting Isaiah 7 here, that, this idea of Emmanuel. Emmanuel is one of the titles that Jesus carried, Jesus the Christ, uh, Jesus the son of David, the son of God. Uh, he was also, one of his titles was Emmanuel, and Emmanuel in the Hebrew means God with us. That here's what the angel was saying, is that the God of the universe is coming down. The God of the universe is going to put skin on. He's going to walk among you. He's gonna give his life as a ransom for you, and that is the Emmanuel. And as we walk through our Advent over the next few weeks, we want to be taught, we're going to talk about what it means that God is with us. You think about that. God is with us and God is for us. And he showed us by sending his son. And we think about the birth of Christ and we think about Bethlehem. We think, but think about Joseph this year. Think about what it means to be obedient in spite of everything, in spite of the cost, in spite of the fear, in spite of the criticism, to give up everything because of the word of God, but give up everything out of faithfulness to God. <laughs> so when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife. He was obedient to God. And here's what Joseph is modeling for us, that we can obey God by staking everything on his word, by staking everything on his faithfulness that it is possible to be obedient to God. It is possible for us in that lifetime. Obedience, obedience is an action word. When God calls us to be obedient, we do something. So he marries Mary. They start moving around. They follow the census. They flee to Egypt. They come back to Nazareth, and Jesus starts his ministry. You know, if we put ourselves into the story, think about it for a second, because there was no I-10 freeway going to Egypt, and there was certainly no Whataburger. Yeah, no, guys, seriously. I, I, I like it better than In-N-Out. So there's no Whataburger, <laughs> no hotels, no restaurants. Uh, there was no carpenter shop in Egypt. He didn't have a job or a network. He found himself there in obedience to God and he accepted the consequences of that. And Joseph models to us that when you obey God, there is always ultimately the highest joy in that obedience. Think about this, that Joseph finished his life knowing that he had participated in the Messiah's work, that he had participated in, that had the joy of knowing that Christ was born, that God had sent his Messiah, that God had been faithful to what he had promised his people, and that's what his legacy was, that's what his life was, and it really didn't matter to him if we knew every single detail what mattered to him was to be obedient. And we get those things so mixed up, right? Because we, we, we kind of want to be obedient, but we want to be seen as obedient sometimes more. And, and we get those things confused a little bit. There's a difference between being obedient and wanting to be seen as obedient. Are you catching that? Because we're really good at wanting to be seen as 
strong Christians, being seen as good people, being seen as generous people, being seen as obedient people, but there's a difference between being seen as something and really being something. And in spite of the consequences, Joseph was obedient to the word of God. And what he's called us to is to be obedient to his word because of who he is, not because of how it looks, not because of the recognition we get, not because of anything else, but because of who God is and how much he loves us. You know, there's a famous painting uh, in the Louvre, and it's a painting by uh, Georges de la Tour, and uh, pardon my French, but um, Georges de la Tour is a very famous painter, and if you go to the Louvre, one of his most famous paintings is called Joseph the Carpenter, and uh, Joseph the carpenter is a picture. I think we have it up here. There we go. You can take a little look, but this is a picture of Joseph and uh, Jesus. Uh, Georges de la Tour was famous for his background lighting that he would put in his paintings. But I want you to look really closely if you can. It's a little bit dark, but this is Joseph and Jesus putting together a cross. And if you think about the life of Joseph, that he prepared Jesus, he was part of God's plan to prepare Jesus to take on the cross. He wasn't the most famous part. He wasn't central always to the narrative, but he had his role in obedience to prepare Jesus to take on the cross. What is the Lord asking us to be obedient to this morning? All of us have stuff in our lives. All of us have things in our lives that, that we, that, you know, whether it's fear, uh, just stubbornness, uh, lack of trust that God's really gonna do, you know, come through for us. Whatever it is, God calls us to obedience and then we have to wrestle with, is God gonna be faithful? <laughs> Sometimes we wrestle with, is this really God or is this the pizza? you know, that I had last night, uh, or is this just my wishful thinking, or is this just something else? But when God speaks to us, it's always verified in his word, it's always confirmed by people around us, and when God calls us to something, he calls us to be obedient in spite of the circumstances, in spite of our fear. What is God calling you this Christmas season to be obedient to? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for Joseph's faithfulness. Thank you for his example. Lord, thank you that as we look at this painting of Joseph, we're reminded of his role in preparing Jesus for the cross, building that cross with his son, with the boy Jesus. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would help us this morning to be faithful. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to be obedient, that in our growth in our relationship with you, we would go from reluctant obedience to immediate obedience. That we would go from faithless to faithful, uh, from fearful to trust. Lord, that you would move us toward you as we are obedient to you. So Lord, thank you for this reminder in the life of Joseph. Thank you for your promises, Lord. And now we ask that we might be obedient to what you've called us to do and what you ask us to do. So Lord, we give you praise, we thank you. Uh, We give you all of the glory and all of the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.
In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. My prayer for us this week is that we would walk in faith, we'd walk by faith and not by sight, that we would be aware of the presence of Jesus in our lives, that he goes with us, that he came and he stays, that he lives in us, that he empowers us, he strengthens us, he comforts us, and that we might move from reluctance to immediate obedience in our lives with him. I love you guys. Have a great day. God bless.